Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Isaiah 65 and verse number 9, the word of the Lord says this, And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob, and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains. Mine elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there. My subject just for the next few moments, and I will be mindful of your time, is this. Everybody say, mountains mountains I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains let's pray together God I'm asking Lord Jesus for that very same spirit that has been looming in this place God through the duration of this service God to have a special connection with us right now on the realm of the preaching of your word I pray, oh God, I know my spirit, God, has been pricked, Lord Jesus, this week, Lord, from the very beginning. God, with needs and hurts and pains and, God, things, Lord, insurmountable in the lives of your people. I pray, oh God, today that you could speak, Lord God, particularly, oh Lord God, directly, Lord Jesus, into their lives tonight. Bring encouragement and strength. God, and we'll love you and we'll praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Everyone say amen. You may be seated tonight. You may be seated. Everyone say mountains. Mountains. Abraham leaving Ur of Chaldees going to Sharan and not being able to continue further to the promise because daddy stopped there along with the rest of his family. Nothing more but mountains. Finding a wife and only to come to a place that God would speak to him of a promise of how his descendants would be as the stars of the sky and as the sands along any seashore being laden with a promise but no immediate answer he was dealt and dealing with everybody say a mountain he would then have a barren wife upon all things try to give birth to a son and try to carry out a promise would bring upon his life but now we're dealing with a barren womb and whenever God even says you know that you're going to give birth they're already well stricken in years and we have what we have here and that's nothing more but a mountain it would be through then a miracle of God that that would take place and there would be a grandson by the name of Isaac that would be born and Isaac would find himself soon to be wed to a Rebecca only to find out she likewise here has nothing but a barren womb and yet this is supposed to be descendants and offspring and so on and so forth and what they were dealing with in their family was a mountain. 
only for a couple of boys to be born there and Jacob to go through his lot of life and leave home and family for fear of his life of his brother go serve for seven years for a woman to his surprise that wedding day wasn't the woman that he had worked seven years for Jacob's dealing with a mountain just to go for seven more years to get uh, the one that he wanted uh, uh, Rachel and we learn in scripture again here is another womb that is barren sewn up nothing's coming forth from it and Jacob has another dilemma disappointment heartache frustration (laughs) things that are contingent upon certain things in order for the promise of God to come about but it's not happening it's not taking place he's got on his hands what we just might call a mountain all throughout the history of scripture it would seem like men notable men Men of great ranking, it went from the pauper to the palace that people would deal as in their lives constantly with these things that we term even still yet today in our lives as mountains. The loss of jobs and unemployment, Sister Nancy, mountains. Uh, health that fails and, and uh, you know we, we've had surgeries and we've had operations and supposed to take care of everything yet it seems to have done more harm even than what it's done good. Bishop there's nothing but mountains. Uh, there's in our elder ages that we're diagnosed with diabetes and even at young ages like Tasha and here we are have a lot in life that we're carrying a load that would seem undue for anybody and we have what we would call a mountain. Hallelujah. We have estranged relationships within families and have even lost out with friends and family over our allegiance unto the Lord and our dedication to God and we have been nothing but dealt with a mountain. We have lost loved ones to the world. We have lost people, amen, that think that there is a call from another world that is higher and greater and that tore your heart up and it tore your disposition up and you're still not really recovered over that. You're dealing tonight with a mountain and I believe we could perhaps brother Fred uh, in many incidents summarize as Job summarized in Job 7 and verse 4 when he stated these words he said when I lie down I say when shall I arise and the night be gone I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. Job just wasn't talking about a literal tossing to and fro on a bed although I believe that would apply here understanding what he was contending with and the mountains in his life but he was speaking no doubtly figuratively to you and I that there are moments in our night season no moments in our darkness that we're asking ourselves when are we going to be able to get up out of the bed? When are we going to be able to stand on our feet again? When is the light going to shine over the horizon? How long can this night really be? And we're anxious and we're unsettled and we're going through and over and over in our mind. Every, You know how it is when you go to bed at night. My mind doesn't go to bed when I go to bed. I don't know 
if anybody else has that problem. But my mind doesn't go to bed whenever I go to bed. Quite the, 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 in, the inverse happens. I think my mind's a nocturnal creature. I go to bed and it gets up. And I begin to think, what do you think about when you go to bed? You begin to think about your mountains. You begin to think about your lack of finances. You begin to think about, amen, uh, uh, the estranged families and relationships. You begin to think about the hopelessness of some situations that are apparent upon uh, the surface and you toss to and fro and you look over and it's 12 and then it's 12.30 and then it's one o'clock and you're wondering, you know what, maybe I should just get up because there's so many mountain peaks that I'm looking at right now that are insurmountable, overwhelming that I don't know if I could even sleep in this night. Wishing for another dawn, but knowing another dawn is just going to bring another mountain. Hallelujah. Knowing that the same old report is going to be there. Nothing's changed. Nothing's altered. Nothing is different. It's just the same old stuff, just a different day. And I got to once again lift up my eyes and look at this mountain. And it seems like I'll never be able to climb to its ascent. Someone say amen. We don't understand it. I don't. I don't understand a lot of the mountains in my life. I don't understand a lot of the frustration, amen, that disrupts my flow of normal activity of life. I shared the other day with some people, Proverbs 20, 24, and it's the only thing that I can latch on to that makes any sense to me. It says, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? I'll tell you right now, you'll come to me, and there are people that come, and you're gonna lay stuff on the table, your mountains, if you will, and I'm just going to have to look back at you and I'm going to have to tell you I don't know why this is the way it is and I don't understand why it's happening to you and I don't understand why it's taking place right now and I don't understand why it is so lengthy and so long but God he has my steps he has my goings and I just can't understand my own way because my way is the path that he's laid for me and we ask God why did you lay this for me everybody say mountains <laughs> I shared with you a few weeks back and I feel like sharing again because if you'll read in Job chapter number 5 and you'll read the latter verses of Job chapter number 5 he tells us how he would make sore and bind up how he would wound a man and then his hands would make whole and I told you how the moral of those verses of scripture that you can read that Job was telling us that God will not inflict you with a wound that he cannot heal he will not put a mountain in your path that if at his will and his unction he couldn't take away if he if he wanted and then I turn over to New Testament scripture concerning my trouble you know I try to get comfort from scripture and I go to the likes of John 14 and verse 1 that tells me let not your heart be troubled And I already begin to argue in my mind, this boy just hasn't seen what I've seen. This boy just isn't where I'm at. And he says, you believe in God? Believe also in me. This is Jesus. He's speaking to his disciples. 
he's telling this intimate circle of people, don't let your hearts be troubled. That might not appear like such a word of confidence or word of blessing to you and I, but when you consider the background and you consider the context of this moment, Jesus is speaking these words on the eve of his death. He is standing in the very shadow of Calvary, if you will. Yet he's taken time before the torture. He's taken time before the pain. He's taken time before his own Mount Calvary and telling these ragtag group of 12, I want to tell you boys, don't let your heart be troubled. Was he speaking specifically? You better believe he was. Was he talking about where they were? You better believe he was. Because Jesus has just told them in John chapter number 13. He has just told them about his death that was right around the corner. He just told them how he would suffer. He just told them the pain and the agony that he would go through. He has just told them that one of them in their number was going to betray him. He just told them that somebody that's walked with them for three and a half years was going to rise up against the master. He has just relayed to them that Peter before the sun would go down was going to deny him three times. Was their hearts heavy? Yes. Did they have a mountain? Yes. Were they troubled? Yes. Were they burdened with grief? Yes. Did they have questions? Yes. Were they sorrowful? Yes. But the voice of the master still rings clear. Let not your heart. He did not say, don't be troubled. It'd be nice if we had control over that, but we don't. He didn't say, don't be troubled. He didn't say, don't let the car break down. Because sometimes you can do the best of maintenance and it happens. He didn't say, don't let the washing machine go on the blitz. Because you're doing laundry just like any ordinary day. <laughs> and no Susie does the last agitation she's going to do. <laughs> Nothing against mom. <laughs> he didn't say, don't let trouble come your way. But he said, let not your heart be troubled. He was saying you can't control the death that's just about ready to take place. You can't control that Judas is going to rise and betray. You can't control that Peter thrice times is going to deny me. He says, but you can't control what you can control. He says, you can't do anything about what's going on around you. You can't do anything about your intimidating environment. You can't do anything about the hopeless surroundings. He says, but you do got some control over your heart. Let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> because a troubled heart in essence, and I know we have the influence of our surroundings. I'm not going to negate that. I'd be a liar to say it never happened to me. But I do know this, that what it tells me whenever it says let not, it tells me this, that the believer is subject to the will of the believer. The heart of the believer is subject to the will of the believer. He can let his heart be troubled or he can let it not be troubled. Holy Ghost. But you not letting your heart be troubled is not on the ground of your humanity. 
You're not letting your heart be troubled. It's not on the ground of Paul McGee or Angie Craig or whoever and whatever you may be. The ground for letting it not be troubled are in the words that immediately follow Jesus said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you understand what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen? I don't have the wisdom. Amen. I don't have the power to influence my will in such a way. But if I believe in God, if I believe he is the creator of the universe, if I believe he calls the miracles of old to take place, if I believe he saved a sin-sick soul like me, if I believe in God, amen, he said, believe in me, Jesus Christ, because I'm God walking in the flesh. So don't let your heart be Someone say it's not over. There's a mountain, but it's not over. I like something that Bishop Wilson, Steve Wilson often says. Some have heard it before. Bishop Steve Wilson says this many times when he preaches some. He says it'll be all right in the end. And he says if it's not all right, he says it's not the end. Did you hear what I said the bishop said? He said it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, if there's still a mountain in your perspective, if there's still some insurmountable odds, if there's still some turmoil and pain and heartache, it's not the end yet. It's not over yet. It's not finished yet. It's not time to check out yet. I get, a, uh, I get a lot of comfort from Scripture. As a young child, uh, we did as most classes would do. We memorized memory verses and passages of Scripture. And there was a passage I remember as a child that, that we, we learned. And I remember perhaps being, if my memory serves me correctly, being the only one in my class at that time that, that memorized Psalms 23. And, and there's times whenever I pray or there's times whenever it's just me and God, I'll, I'll begin to quote Psalms 23. But Sister Craig, within Psalms 23 is an unveiling, an unraveling, if you will, of a lot of the titles of God you know you look through scripture man you can go you can go I, I didn't get all of them and wasn't going to go through the list tonight that had been my 30 minutes within itself but there are some redemptive if you will titles of God within Psalms 23 as he begins to state in verse 1 the Lord is my shepherd someone say he's my shepherd they say he's my Jehovah Roha the Lord is my shepherd and if he's my shepherd if I fall over the precipice he's got his staff ready to get me back on track if he is my shepherd and I've been injured by the briars of my environment he has some salve that he can lay on me he is my Jehovah Rohi he says I shall not want he is my Jehovah he is my provider uh-huh. hold on now Abraham and Isaac are traveling about Mount Moriah by the decree of the Lord 
They're traveling up there. He's got the wood strapped on Isaac's back. Isaac looks over at dad. He knows where they're going to. They're going to the place of worship. They're going to the place of sacrifice. Dad, we got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. They go up there. They prepare the wood in order. Hallelujah, the fire is made. That only begotten son Isaac is laid out upon that wood. Abraham is about ready to be fully obedient to the voice of the Lord. And all of a sudden, there's a little rustling over here in the thorn bushes. It's a ram caught by his horns and God provided a ram and it was there that Abraham said, oh, the Lord my God is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. Someone say, I got a mountain, but he's my provider. Someone say yes. Hallelujah. The Psalms 23 goes on and says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still, or I say still, still waters. He's my Jehovah Shalom. He's my peace. See, Israel was in some very turbulent times. They needed a judge. They needed a deliverer that could come forth. They had been under Midianite oppression for seven years. Turbulent times. Times of adversary, enemy, and warfare. But the Bible says at that time that the angel of the Lord came and seen Gideon there and said, thou mighty man of valor, you need to rise at this time. You need to go forth and be the deliverer for the children of Israel. However, Gideon got his marching orders. He's still a little bit afraid. He's still considering the size of his mountain that's accumulated over seven years and the Lord said unto him he said peace be unto thee and fear not thou shalt not die and the Bible says Gideon right there built an altar and he named that thing Jehovah Shalom the Lord is my peace he was going to need that after he took several 32,000 men through three, two different tests and only had 300 left in his hand. You think his knees were knocking before? They're for sure knocking now. But before he ever got to that point, he had already went to the Lord in prayer at an altar and heard a word from heaven that said, hey, I don't care what your mountain size is. I, the Lord, am thy Someone say, I got a mountain, but I got peace in God. Someone say, glory. Verse 3 of Psalms 23 says, he restoreth. Everybody say, restoreth my soul, my Jehovah Rophi. My healer. My healer. See, there was a time in the wilderness journey that the children of Israel came to the waters of Merah, which alone meant bitter in the wilderness. They were thirsty. They had been for quite some time, several days, without water, without any liquid, amen, for their souls. But they came to water, and lo and behold, this water is bitter. Isn't that just like it? I mean, if matters couldn't get worse, we're already thirsty, we're already lacking, we're already without, and when we see a sense of hope because there's water, 
We put it to our lips only to find out it's bitter water. Because people in this place has thought they were about ready to see the daylight. If I could speak metaphorically, and it was only a three-engine train headed your direction. (laughs) Sometimes the way that we live life concerning mountains, the finish line is always in front. It's never a race to end. It's always pushed further ahead in front. But he says, I will be the Jehovah Rophi, my healer. And they come to these bitter waters. And the Lord points out a tree that they would throw in these waters. Amen. And he healed those waters. And so the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel that day and said, listen here, y'all. If you keep my commandments, hallelujah, you're going to be in health. You're going to be healthier. He says, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Listen to me right now. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 8, 22, he said, is there no balm, everybody say balm, in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of thy daughter of my people recovered? Is there, I've preached along these lines before, but touched base with them a little bit today and seen something a little different. He said, is there no balm in Gilead? The word Gilead literally means in the Hebrew, the heap or mass of testimony. If I may simmer that down to a one word bite, praise. The heap or mass of testimony. Really, when we used to have testimony services, it was supposed to be praise. Boom is just a, a word that was used in Old Testament times that was likened into a salve that people would place upon wounds, lacerations, and abrasions to bring healing. And the prophet's asking, is there no healing element? Is there no healing function in Gilead? Is there no healing balm or healing function in praise? Can I tell somebody around here this evening that when we come in those back double doors and we pray before church and songs begin and we raise hands and clap hands and lift up our voices, that is much, much more than a formality. That is much, much more than some ritual. That is much, much more than an obligation. But whenever I tie, that if I can somehow get in the spirit and in the vein of praise, that there's some balm, there's some healing ointment, there's some deliverance, there's some setting free. That's captivated by the praise of God's people. Someone say yes. That's how Paul and Silas at midnight could pray and sing praise. And before you know it, they're walking out of that jail. Why? There was some balm in that Gilead. Someone say, I got a mountain, but I got a healer. Hmm. 
he continues in verse 3 and says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. He is my Jehovah Tiskanu. The Lord is righteous for his namesake. Amen. It was spoken of in that day. He said, I'm going to raise up a seed. I'm going to raise up a person. I'm going to raise a righteous branch of David. He's going to reign wisely. He's going to do justly. He's going to do right in the land. Amen. In his days, Judah is going to be saved. In his days, Israel is going to live safely. Amen. And he's going to be known by the Lord, our righteousness. Someone say yes. Hallelujah. I got a mouth that, but I got a righteous Lord. Verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley, I got to hurry. Forget the 30 minutes. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Everybody say, with me. He is my Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Ezekiel spoke of this probably while the children of Israel were in captivity at Babylon at a time that Israel was falling into continual sin. Jerusalem was just about to go under. But the Lord, through the voice of Ezekiel, prophesied (laughs) about a new temple and a new day that was dawning that the people had never seen before, that the Lord was going to be there. Because see, every temple of old was always short-lived. The Garden of Eden, hallelujah, was not, the Lord did not stay in the garden. It was short-lived. The tabernacle that substituted it, it was short-lived and was surpassed by the temple. The temple, though, Solomon's temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And then came the temple of Zerubbabel. But that was destroyed by Herod. They have all been short-lived. And finally, there was those people who crucified our Lord and Savior that tabernacled among us. And he only spent 33 and a half years upon this earth. It was short-lived. But after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those to whom he gave power, to become the sons of God he made them their temples and now I don't go to a place but where I go Jehovah Shammah the Lord is there I got a mountain but if I'm in the middle of my mountain right now guess what God is there someone say yes Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. He's my Jehovah Nisi. He's the Lord, my banner. When the children of Israel just came out of Egypt, a foe that met them very soon was the Amalekites. Joshua and them went to battle against the Amalekites. Moses goes up a mountain. He takes Aaron with him. He takes her with him. And the Bible says as long as Moses would hold that rod of God up in the air, that they would discomfit the Amalekites. But when his hands held low, the Amalekites would start to win. And so Aaron and her lifted up Moses' arms. And that rod was as a banner unto those people. Because understand well, I'm trying to fit all this in. But whenever a king would go to war and he had fighters that were scattered all over the field, that there were some times that those warriors and those fighters, their hearts might be a little doubtful about how this battle's going to turn out. And whenever the king could survey the battlefield... And see that he would begin to unroll that scroll of a banner. Uh-huh. Woo! Yeah. 
And whenever he seen that, they just about couldn't take any more. He would start to unscroll that roll of a banner. And he would place it upon the pole. And those old boys, wherever they were, whatever pain they were suffering from, whatever they were enduring, when they seen the king's banner, they said, we need to get to where the banner is because that's where the king is. And where there's the king, there's protection, there's safety, there's resources. Someone say, I got a mountain, but I see the banner. <laughs> he goes on and say, thou anointest. Everybody say anointest. Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord sanctifies my head with oil and my cup runneth over. Now let's just summarize here for a little bit. That Lord which is my shepherd, the Lord who is my provider and my peace and my healer and my righteousness and is there and is my banner and is my sanctifier because the Lord are all of those things. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will, someone say will, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone say mountains. Mountains. mountains throughout scriptures had positive and negative connotations. Positive and negative. You could begin to view Mount Calvary in conjunction with the Mount of Olives. You're going to get a different feeling from each of those. You could look at Mount Moriah as we did with Abraham and Isaac and then consider Mount Horeb. You're going to get a different reaction. I found in my personal life and the terms in which I'm speaking of it to unite is a mountain that is an obstacle. A mountain that is an oppression. And a mountain that is a suppressing thing. A mountain that even Jesus spoke to them in the scripture did not have little faith. But if they would have faith even as a grain of a mustard seed that they could say to yonder, everybody say mountain. Mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea. In my scripture reading to you this evening, in Isaiah 65 and 9, the Bible says very plainly, we have walked through Isaiah. We're coming to the close of the close of Isaiah. Isaiah has already portrayed the suffering servant, the Jesus Christ that would be born, the one that would be born in a manger. It's talked about his power. It's talked about his majesty. And Isaiah hasn't finished his book yet, and he's still talking about Jesus. He's still talking about this supreme being. And he includes us in on verse number 9. And he says, I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob." Someone hear me right now. He says, I'm going to bring forth a seed out of Jacob. He's speaking prophetically. He says, I'm going to bring one out of Judah. But this is my favorite phrase. Because although I accept God as my Jehovah Nisi, and I accept God as my Jehovah Rophi, and I accept God as my Jehovah Jireh, and my Jehovah Tiskanu, out of the titles of God, I hold this one dear. He said, there's going to come someone that's born out of Jacob and out of Judah. And he's going to be an inheritor. Inheritor of my mouth. Someone hear me right now. He said there's going to be a child born. There's going to be a boy born. And the mountain that I'm facing today, the sickness that I'm facing today, the heartache that I'm facing today, the dismal picture that I'm surrounded by right now, he's going to inherit my mouth. 
No, somebody's not yet caught it or you're not celebrating what you caught yet. There is a God of glory that whatever your mountain may be tonight, you can name it right now in this presence and God says, go on and harness it on because I'm the heir of your mountain. We do need to do as New Testament scripture and come in here tonight and cast all our care upon the Lord because he's the inheritor of our mountain. If I could say tonight, give God the rough places of your life. Give God the insurmountable odds in your life. Give him those things that you consider an obstacle in your life. Give him your mountains. Give him your financial woe. Give him the estranged family. Give him, if you will, the lacerating tongues of wickedness that speak forth against you. Give him, if you will, your hopelessness. Give him, if you will, your sickness. Give him, if you will, your confusion and your despair and your depression and your despondency. You give it all to God because there's one coming and he's here. He's the inheritor of our mountains. I felt him walk among us tonight and all he's looking for is for somebody to give it away. For somebody to give it away, to let go of it. Stop bringing your hands over it. Stop worrying about it. Stop packing it on your own back and place it on his back. Hallelujah. You was never meant to inherit that. He was. You was never meant to carry that. He was. Let him be the inheritor of your mountain tonight. I don't know how to preach in 30 minutes. Sister Craig, I was, I was praying this week at the church and uh, I was praying through the tabernacle and uh, I entered into the holy place with a mason. God touched me. Entered to that holy place, that place of ministration and I went to that ple- first piece of furniture there. I went over to the candlestick and God started doing something in my mind and heart. Sister Craig, when I went over there because the times that we have taught that we spoke to it how it's being beaten out of gold. One of the most intrinsic worth of any other piece of furniture. How it was a representation of his church. A representation of his bride. Hallelujah. <laughs> And we looked at it. And I've told you before, the beaten gold, you know, just, just would make this church different, if you will, from any other candlestick. There could not be another candlestick like this candlestick. It's made out of beaten gold. There's no way that a person, a blacksmith, could beat the metal the same way in order for there to be an identical replica of what that menorah was. Amen. In the holy place. It was made of beaten gold. But there was something that hit my spirit and my mind whenever I started to see that, Brother Mason. I all times thought of all that beaten work of how the church was made up of Brother Masons and Brother McGee's and, and Brother Nykirk's and, and Brother this and Sister that. How there was just a conglomerate of people that were all made up of that candlestick and of that church beaten because we're all different. But there was something that hit me right then. Hallelujah. That that beaten work of gold just wasn't different people that made up the church. But it was a church that had endured some stuff. It's a church that had been pressured by trials. It was a church that had been impacted by multiple trouble. If I could say it to borrow the lyrics of an old song, it was a church that had been lied on, cheated, 
talked about, mistreated, abused, and scorned. Talked about as sure as I'm born. Bid up, bid down, almost to the rim, but as long as I got King Jesus, I don't need anybody else. When I seen that candlestick, I seen that it sustained a few blows in her existence. And let me tell you this tonight concerning the church. Society has attempted to snuff her out. Society has attempted to snuff out the church by doing so made her stand out by them doing that. Hitting another blow on her made her to stand out much more than she stood out before. And you know what? A realization came to me, Sister Craig. Here was a candlestick that had been beaten. Church and people that had been beaten, wore down with trial and frustration but still on those seven branches uh, was a flickering flame uh, that still burnt upon her that gave testimony to the oil that was still coursing through her. In other words, I may be beat, I may be pushed down, but there's still a fire and anointing of oil that's coursing through me. Someone say yes. And none of the beating that happened to that candlestick prohibited or stopped the oil from flowing. None of it. It didn't constrict it. Sure beat down areas of affliction. Didn't collapse any of the branches. You know what happens? You know what happens though? When you have a volume of something and it meets, this is a normal volume and it meets a constriction. Uh-huh. <laughs> another trial another tribulation going through some more pressure here's the volume there's the level but when the pressure comes the oil rises perhaps you are where you are right now because God's just raising the level of the oil he doesn't want the wick to get out of the oil because if the wick gets out of the oil there's no more fire on the branches he says so I'm going to have to put a little pressure there I'm going to have to squeeze you I'm going to have to put you through some things but don't be, don't be concerned it's not going to stop the oil it's just going to raise the level of the oil and there's still going to be apostolic fire Someone say yes. Hallelujah. Y'all going to wear me out tonight? Or I'm wearing myself out one or the other? Hallelujah. So all this happened. Greater value. Greater value. Because it had been beaten. One would think perhaps a die cast mode would serve best for smooth edges and pristine curves for candlestick more valued having symmetry if you will would be better off be held in highest regard but no the beaten would be the valued Whew. the beaten would be the valued they'll be now classified as unique different one of a kind not another like it and the unbelievable miracle is that the oil is still resident and the fire still radiates from the beaten candlestick, the beaten church. I don't want to weary you all. Stand with me tonight. I sense that you might be getting tired. 
Brother Mason could come. If I could voice this tonight, let God be the inheritor of your mountain. Your current trouble doesn't have to stop the flow of oil in your life. Your current trouble doesn't have to dampen the wick of fire, of revival, of burning. You don't have to somehow ignore the fact that you've been beaten. But with that recognition, you can always also say that you're valued. I'm still on fire. Remember a long time ago, we talked about Peter and the disciples on the boat, the storm that came. Remember all that? And a word that we received from heaven in that particular setting was to take your cue from the master concerning your storms, concerning what was taking place. Because as all that was happening, though Jesus was asleep in the hinder part of the ship, while everybody else was panicking, he was peaceful. I think there was a lesson learned in all of that. Because his disciples even woke him up. He calmed the storm. He asked why they were fearful and had no faith. His disciples witnessed all this taking place and happening. It'd be later in Scripture, somewhere around Acts chapter 12, I believe it is, that Peter is incarcerated. He's in prison. Sister Nancy Robinson, he is facing execution the next day. This is the night before his execution. Someone say mountain. Mountain. And you know what old Peter boy was doing? He was asleep. Mountain. Perhaps the most sizable in his life at that time. And he was asleep. Not just that. In such a case to add insult to injury, he was sleeping so soundly that the bright light that shined in the prison didn't wake him up. As a matter of fact, Scripture relates to us that basically the angel of the Lord had to hit Peter to get him to wake up. And this is the night before he's meeting the Grand Reaper. <laughs> Someone say mountain. You know what Peter did in that, in that moment of time? I remember when I had another mountain in my life and the master was sleeping through it. I'm going to take my cue from him because if he could slip through that, he said, then the mountain that I have today, I'm going to let him inherit it. And I'm going to go on and get some rest right now. Peter, how can you sleep so peaceful in a time when there's a mountain beside you? Because I took my cue from the Lord. He's the inheritor of my mountains. If we bow our heads all across this place today, the Lord has been so rich and so real in these services today. But I don't want people that center in the sound of my voice tonight that may have got lost in the clamor of the Spirit of the Lord moving and surging in some people's lives. Hear me. I don't want someone to get lost in all of that. That while some found their rejuvenation and other, others tied their knot, if you will, for hanging on. I don't want those of you that's had nothing but a dead stare at an insurmountable mountain in your life to get lost in all the shuffle of this stupendous presence of God and not have an opportunity right now in this altar call to say, God, you're my provider. 
God, you're there. God, you're my healer. But God, right now at this stage in my life, looking at this unmeasurable mountain, I need you to inherit something from me tonight. I need you to inherit my fear. I need you to inherit my doubtful questions. I need you to inherit my bewilderment and my seemingly confusion of my surroundings. God, I'm grateful for what you've done today for your people, but I need an inheritor of a mountain to to come into my life tonight. I need to be able to lay my head down and I need to not be tossing to and fro as Job on the bed wondering when morning's going to come, when my mind can go back to sleep and my body can wake up. I, I need to know that I'll be able to get up tomorrow and the mountain will still be there, but my heart's not going to be troubled because I believe in God and God is an inheritor of my mountain. These altars are open tonight as Brother and Sister Mason begin to Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.